it all started with a text. The year was 2013, and it was almost time to go to bed, but I sat on my couch eagerly inviting friends to a cookout so that we could keep building community as we got ready to launch our new church plant. And one of my friends sent back a reply that was really off. So I texted him some more to check in on him, and then he started texting me some suicidal thoughts and specifics on how he was planning to kill himself. So I called my friend Jake, and we went over to our friend's place to talk things over together, and after we talked for a long time, our friend took off running, and we went running after him. He ended up grabbing glass and metal and just kept running down to the city square, and then he bolted right toward the back alley of the Episcopalian Church downtown, and I was in my sandals, uh, severely out of shape, and I dialed 911. I was huffing and puffing as I was telling the, telling the cops where we were, and I lagged far behind Jake, who caught our friends, grabbed him, started wrestling with him, and I finally caught up too, and eventually we got him down and got the glass and metal out of his hands, and the cops showed up. We ended up going to the hospital with them, and believe it or not, the hospital almost released our friend, but a really kind Buddhist doctor assured us that he would be safe for the night at least. And around 3 a.m., I got back to my bedroom where my wife Joy was waiting for me, and we had just gotten back from our honeymoon a few days earlier. So she asked me what happened, and all I could do was sit on the side of our bed and cry like crazy. And through my tears, all I could tell Joy was, I can't do this. I can't. If this is what church planning is, then God's got the wrong guy. I cannot do this. And I'll never forget what Joy said next. You were there. That's what matters, Dan. You were there. You know, maybe after all we've gone through this past year, you might feel like I did back in 2013. Maybe you're feeling like you can't keep going and everything's just way too overwhelming. Maybe you've lost loved ones this year. Maybe you've taken some hard hits financially. Maybe you've had some strained relationships, mental health challenges, decision fatigue, or crippling fear of the future. And listen, if that's you, here's what I want you to know. It's okay to not be okay. And there's no better example of this when Jesus wept after his friend Lazarus died. And even though he knew Lazarus would come alive again, Jesus still showed raw emotion and embraced pain. Carlos Rodriguez says, Embracing pain is not negating faith. It's actually being in the likeness of God. It's okay to not be okay. But we also can't let our pain prevent us from seeing the big picture. In fact, God allows pain in our lives to help us grow and become more like Jesus. And through this crisis, God has given us massive opportunities to recognize how much we need him and how much we need to get healthier spiritually. And over the last year, COVID has revealed and accelerated what was already there. And for most of us, these trials are showing us that we've got a long way to go in our spiritual maturity. So if you're listening to this and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, maybe you're looking for hope, I want you to know the only hope that lasts forever is the good news of the only one true God who gave his life for you and for me. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection on your behalf, then today is the day for you to make that decision, and I can guarantee you will never regret it. But for most of us listening, you, you've already made that decision to have Jesus 
be the Lord and leader of your life. And when that happened, he supernaturally placed us into this amazing thing called the church. He made us part of his body. So how are we doing at being the church that Jesus wants us to be? In scripture, there's this illustration that says the church is like the bride of Christ. And if we've learned anything in this COVID crisis, we've learned that the church can be one ugly bride. And this COVID crisis is showing us we have a long way to go in being the church that Jesus wants us to be. But here's the good news. And if you don't remember anything else in this podcast episode, remember this. Hard times make healthy churches. Hard times make healthy churches churches. The Christian church has always thrived in tough times. The suffering of Jesus sparked the spread of Christianity, and it was the persecution of the early church that only multiplied it more. When the Roman emperor Constantine removed the persecution of Christians, that was when the church became extremely unhealthy. Today, across the globe, you know where Christianity is exponentially growing? It's in China, in the Middle East, where persecution is constant. And Christianity is shrinking in Europe and North America, where religious liberties have historically been more available. So why is the American church so unhealthy? Why are 9 out of 10 Christian churches in this country either plateaued or declining? I have a theory, and here's my theory. Comfort and convenience rarely develop character. Because comfort and convenience rarely develop character. I think that's a huge reason why the American church is so unhealthy. We have lived in comfort and convenience for far too long, and the good times don't grow our spiritual health like the tough times do. So right now, we are literally in the middle of history in the making, and there's this new normal we're all trying to figure out, personally with our families, financially with our jobs and careers, relationally with our friends, and spiritually with our churches. And the early church wrestled with very similar challenges as well. Thousands of years ago in an ancient city of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul started a church there and they were in the middle of history in the making too. They were trying to get used to a new normal because Jesus changed everything, especially the cultural norms that everyone was used to. And there was this mystery that everyone was trying to figure out. So Paul wrote to this church that he started, and in Ephesians 3, 6, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are heirs together with Israel, Jewish people, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise that's in Christ Jesus. So this new normal for the church in Ephesus was trying to wrap their minds around the fact that non-Jewish followers of Jesus were part of the same family and team as the Jewish followers of Jesus. And that was really hard for both groups of people. But again, hard times make healthy churches. So two questions we need to answer. First, how did this new normal happen? And secondly, why did this new normal happen? So let's look in chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul's telling the non-Jewish followers of Jesus what the cross accomplished for them. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for Jewish people. Jesus died on the cross for all people. And that meant that the church was not going to be monocultural, just one culture only. It was going to be multicultural. 
Everyone can be part of this amazing new normal that Jesus paid for with his life. And then in verse 14, Paul goes on and he says, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. See, Paul's saying in a world that's filled with chaos and confusion, Jesus doesn't just offer us peace. He actually is our peace. See, nothing and no one else in this world offers true lasting peace because only Jesus could make the way back to God possible. Jesus smashed the dividing wall between us and God, and Jesus also smashed the walls of division between Jews and non-Jews. And this is how the church was birthed. It was created by God himself. So that's how this mysterious thing got started. But why? Paul explains more of that in chapter 3, verse 10. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So why did God create the church? Because the church exists to show the wisdom of God to a watching world. We are here to show the world that living for Jesus is worth it. And here's my question. How are we doing at that? We live in a culture that is rapidly moving from post-Christian to anti-Christian at warp speed. The cultural narrative regarding the Bible is no longer that the Bible is irrelevant. Now culture says the Bible is evil. And many more people today don't just avoid or ignore the church. They hate the church. And the truth is, I used to be in the same boat. I actually used to hate the church too. I've got this old picture. It's like this old Olin Mills pictorial directory from the 1990s. If you were in uh, a conservative church in the 1990s that, uh, yeah, they had this deal with Olin Mills photography and so many of these pictorial directories look exactly the same. And uh, it, it, this picture just shows that the classic pastor's kid look, right? And I got to tell you, growing up as a pastor's kid was awesome because my parents are two of the godliest people I know, and they modeled for me and my sister Cynthia a very real and vibrant faith in Jesus. But being a pastor's kid was also really hard because I saw the ugliest sides of church that you could possibly imagine. And I could tell you stories that would make soap operas look tame, believe me. But the crazy thing is I actually went to Bible college hating the church because of all that I experienced. However... God changed my heart and he changed my perspective through his word and through a lot of experiences I don't have time to go into. But but the truth is, whether or not you think the church is a joke, like I used to, or, or whether you love the church with all your heart, wherever you're coming from, I want to share with you something that I've learned that is so important, especially when it comes to our perspectives on the church. I believe that God's plan for his church will work if we follow through on what we already know rather than learn more that we rarely live out. God's plan for his church will work if we follow through on what we already know rather than learn more that we rarely live out. And hard times give us great opportunities to follow through. So we've looked at how the church started, why the church started, and now we need answers, so what? We've seen the how, we've seen the why, so what does that mean for today? How do we show off the wisdom of God today? What is God's game plan for the church to be as healthy as possible right now? Well, the cool thing is God's game plan that he laid out for the church in ancient Ephesus is the same game plan that he has for the American church in the middle of our international pandemic of 2021. Ephesians actually gives us God's game plan for the church in COVID crisis. So let's look at that together. First, We've got to remember where we get our identity, hope, and power. 
crises like this COVID craziness, it causes us to ask questions like, who am I? How can I make it through this? What's going to fuel me forward in this hard time? And in Ephesians 1, uh, 3 to 14, there's this extremely long run-on sentence in the original Greek language that uh, the Apostle Paul used. And it's, it's one of the most encouraging sections in the entire Bible because it tells us who we really are. When we give our lives to Jesus, here's who we are. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are holy. It means set apart. We're blameless. We're loved. We're adopted. We're redeemed. We're included, we are saved, and we are sealed. It means we're guaranteed a forever future because of Jesus. See, hard times make healthy churches because they force us to remember who we really are in Christ. And that's something we often forget in the good times. A few verses later, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. But this hope isn't just theoretical or grasping at straws. The hope that God offers is rooted in something far more concrete than the stock market, the political circus, or, or pleasure, things that we're, we're, places in, in, in areas where we're tempted to search for hope in times like these. The hope that believers have is rooted in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Here's what that means. God doesn't write checks that bounce. And maybe you just need to hear that right now. Whatever you're going through, you just need to know God doesn't write checks that bounce. God offers us the same power that he used to raise his only son, Jesus Christ, from the grave. And that same power will give us what we need to move forward in the middle of this pandemic. Next, we have to engage what God's already prepared for us to do in this season. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, this COVID crisis, the American political circus, racial tensions, and our increasing tribalism and polarization, they do not surprise God. He always knew these things would happen. And even though we can't fully understand why he's letting this happen, we do know one reason why. So that we would step up and take advantage of the opportunities he has uniquely wired us for. See, hard times aren't just obstacles, they are opportunities. And hard times give us greater opportunities to love and forgive more than we ever have before. Ephesians 3.17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and established in love. And then later in chapter 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Did you ever notice that we don't really learn how to love and forgive in the good times? See, hard times force us to decide if we will be loving and forgiving people. So who is God calling you to love and forgive this week? Who have we given up on that God hasn't given up on? See, even though times like these are so hard, these are amazing times where we can dream like we've never dreamed before. Not just for people we know, but also for those that we don't know yet. Paul reminds us, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work 
within us. See, now more than ever, we've got to remember that Jesus is the great I am, not the great I was. He can resolve that conflict. He can give us what we need to lovingly forgive what they did. He can save our friend who's rejected Christ their whole life. He can provide financially for our family in ways that we don't expect. He can bring healing to the sick, and he can bring revival to Northeast America, which is the most unreached, unchurched, post-Christian corner of this nation. And the amazing thing is when we engage in the mission of God, especially here in the Northeast, all we're doing is simply teaming up with God for big things that he has already done for millennia. I mean, with with this church in, in Ephesus, there's this tiny little verse in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. It says, because of this, the planting of the church at Ephesus, all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. The last time I checked, that's a lot of people. <laughs> Stories from the Bible are not just past memories. They are present possibilities. And if God used hard times to accomplish that back in the day, I know he can do the same thing today. And the cool thing is, the great thing is, he wants to use us to do that. But it's going to take teamwork. And in order to be the effective team that God wants us to be, we have to embrace interdependence rather than independence. Ephesians 4, 2 through 6 remind us that there is only one body. There's one family, there is one team, and we all actually need each other. This pandemic is showing us that church is a community, not an event. And across this nation, churches are getting exponentially healthier because we're learning to love each other more in these hard times than we ever have before. And you know what? Satan hates that. Because Satan's primary strategy is to attack from the inside, not the outside. Hard times make healthy churches because they catalyze more teamwork than good times ever do. And there is a watching world that is crazy curious about how we communicate, about how we engage them, about how we live our faith out in real time. And that's why Paul challenges us in in chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Hard times make healthy churches because we have more opportunities for evangelism than ever before. And God's removing the excuses we typically use of the the cultural awkwardness of checking in with friends or offering to pray with them or loving them on purpose and sharing the hope that we have in Jesus. I mean, let's face it, we're experts at complicating the simple rather than executing the simple. And I think when it comes to evangelism, sometimes the simplest things are the most powerful things. You know, recently my my wife Joy noticed that our neighbor uh, had an Amazon registry for her child and she was choosing life for her child, which is amazing. And um, it it was an unplanned pregnancy and we're just so incredibly proud of her for what she she did there. And man, people in her life were not getting the gifts uh, off the, the Amazon registry for her. And so Joy noticed that and she mentioned it to me and we, we threw it out to a bunch of our friends and, and through NEC, we had some, some cool connections where believers from multiple states started flooding our neighbor 
with gifts from the Amazon registry. And just even last week, Joy and I got to have her over with her boyfriend and her uh, baby son. And man, we just had a great time eating dinner together, getting to know them better. We've been able to share the gospel uh, with her and just continue to become better friends. But the deal is, like, this stuff is not that complicated. Asking good questions, offering to meet a need when we see needs, uh, just asking people, what's your story? Or asking people, how can I pray for you? Just even the simplicity of that question can be unbelievably powerful. But prayer can't be our last resort. It's got to be our first response, especially when it comes to the mission of Jesus. In Ephesians 6, 19-20, Paul says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. See, hard times make healthy churches because they wake us up to the fact that we have to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. And Paul maps that out for us in chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. I'd encourage you to study that out more uh, this week. But the reality is, when we talk about war, war is always scary. It's brutal. It takes its toll. And our previously hidden fears are all rising to the surface in the middle of this ramped up warfare. That's why we have to feed our faith to starve our fears. We have to feed our faith to starve our fears so that we will be ready for what's coming at us. This season is so challenging and so difficult. And maybe you feel like I did back in 2013 when I told my wife, Joy, I can't do this. But right now, God is speaking to you right where you're at and saying, I can Let's do this together. Hard times make healthy churches. Let's lean into God's plan and see him blow our minds like he always does.